Let's Talk Sales. This is a podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. This podcast is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough? Have you tried sales training in the past, but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement that combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. Throughout the month of June, we are talking about problem solving. Check out the blog for best practices, information, and advice for you and your team at criteriaforsuccess.com blog. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really excited about today's guest. Our guest is an award-winning blogger. You have probably read him. He writes the very popular blog, Matt on Marketing. He is the author of six different books, including one we're talking about today, Full Funnel Marketing, as well as Modern Marketing Field Guide, Successful Social Selling, Successful Selling, Are You Selling Pants or Selling a Dream, and Move the Mouse and Make Millions. So clearly a, a prolific author. He is also the host of an excellent podcast called Sales Pipeline Radio. And last but not least, he is the president and founder of Heinz Marketing Incorporated. So if you are an astute listener and have combined the name of his blog and his company, you probably know that our guest is Matt Heinz. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Matt. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All right. I know I just covered your bio relatively quickly, but do you want to introduce yourself a bit to our listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Matt. Uh, I started Heinz Marketing about uh, a little over uh, 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, we really focus on helping companies build more predictable sales pipelines. You know, I think a lot of companies have uh, lumpiness in what in developing pipeline. And so we figured out a methodology to, um, to, to smooth out that lumpiness and create more predictability and repeatability in that process. Um, we got a small uh, consulting firm just based up here in Seattle, clients all over North America, and uh, just having fun while we do it. Nice. Well, we are talking to you from across the country and um, have a kind of similar similar business and I think really complimentary. So I definitely understand a lot of the challenges that you seem to work on with your clients. I'd like to start a little bit with kind of where did your passion for marketing and sales and business begin? Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the journey that you've been on to get to this point? Yeah, I mean, in summary, this has all been a giant mistake. I, I really, I started as a, I was a journalism and political science major uh, in school, was a reporter for Suburban Seattle newspaper for a while. And, um, you know, we ended up at a PR firm after that and then went to Microsoft. And, you know, I think I really, uh, I was drawn to the broader marketing opportunity, drawn to the revenue impact uh, side of the organization. Uh, wherever I was, both at Microsoft as well as a couple startups. And then I, I really sort of became enamored with the idea that most marketing organizations, at least at the time, even in B2B, looked and acted more like a glorified arts and crafts department. I think they didn't, they, they were more focused on the marketing of more, like more clicks and likes and visits mm -hmm. and retweets, um, and weren't really thinking about the revenue impact and weren't measuring and prioritizing things based on the revenue impact they could have. So we started focusing on that in the last couple of startups I was at, and then I found there was an opportunity to step out and maybe help more companies do the same. That is such um, an important insight. And I think it's something that uh, a lot of people still aren't necessarily thinking about. In terms of marketing, companies view marketing as something that they're throwing money into, 
um, and not necessarily yeah. understanding how is marketing contributing to the bottom line? And they can do so much. And it's so important, especially in terms of how buyers are buying now. When buyers want to do a lot of the driving themselves, they want to be doing the research. They want to find content that's going to help them make decisions. Most of that is up to marketing instead of necessarily being sales responsibility. Um, and so if you as a company aren't viewing marketing as that profit center, you're really missing out on supporting the buyer journey that buyers want to be on. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. And I think that, uh, like I mentioned before, I think a lot of marketing teams get enamored with charts that go up and to the right, you know, all the time, right? More leads, more traffic. You know, I think most marketers want to make sure what they're doing has as big of an impact as possible from a quantity standpoint. But if the quality is in there, it doesn't matter. You can generate a bunch of leads, but if a lot of those leads are not qualified to buy your product, let alone interested in learning more, then are those leads really valuable? And I think, um, you know, I, I, a lot of companies also get wrapped around the axle trying to find the perfect way to measure complete impact uh, and contribution of marketing into sales and, and lifetime value. I worry a little less about measurement and, and worry a lot more about intent. I think, you know, mm -hmm. we, while we folk, while we try to find the perfect scorecard, you know, in the meantime, we're still not delivering the kind of focus and discipline around revenue responsible marketing that I think, you know, even just with making smarter choices would help a lot of those marketing organizations generate more impact. Definitely. And I think we've kind of drifted into what I wanted to spend some time talking about, which is problem solving. Um, and we yeah. are talking throughout this entire month of June about solving problems and common problems that that we see. And I know you're you're already talking about some of the problems between marketing and sales. Um, and do, are there any other problems that you often see um, either in marketing or in sales or I think especially with your expertise kind of between those two teams? Oh, Lord, how long is this podcast? We've gone for a while <laughs> on this topic. I mean, I think that, you know, there's, let's separate the ideas of strategic alignment and operational alignment, right? Mm -hmm. So let's start with looking at strategic alignment and say, you know, do the sales and marketing agree on, on uh, uh, objectives? Do they agree on what the measures of success are? Do they agree on what is a good lead? What is a good opportunity? Um, you know, what, you know, how do you combine those things together? Uh, to create a pipeline that really is is built once, not twice, right? Like, uh, you know, leads to opportunities, opportunities to close deals. So there's that strategic alignment that requires executive support and requires those teams to build some foundational elements together. Sitting up and talking at, at sales kickoff, that sales and marketing are aligned and having the CMO stand up and say, we're focused on supporting you and driving pipeline. That's all fine and good. But that strategic alignment has to translate into operational alignment. Mm -hmm. In other words, what does this look like on Tuesday morning? You know, um, you know what, you know what does it mean? You know, if a lead is in fact meets one of those criteria definitions, like where does it go? Who does it go to? What do they do with? It? How do they follow up? How much follow up? What happens if they don't respond? I mean, like you get very tactical very quickly when the rubber meets the road. Um, and so, how do you, you know, nailing the upfront foundational work is critical to driving sustainable alignment and integration between sales and marketing, but you also have to get in the weeds very quickly and answer some of those more operational technical questions to make it work, you know, on, on, in the field. 
Absolutely. We see that all the time as well. Um, we come in primarily on the sales side, but we obviously are interacting with marketing and more and more lately than we used to. And what seems to happen a lot is people decide that they want to implement a lead capture system, whether it's an inbound marketing platform like HubSpot or something else. And so marketing is all excited, we're getting leads. And sales is all excited, we're getting leads. And then who is going to respond to those leads? At what point are they handed off from marketing to sales? What is the definition of a marketing qualified lead versus a sales qualified lead? Um, who's crafting those emails that might get sent if you've got automated emails? Um, at what point? Do they talk to a live person? Who is that live person going to be? And it's amazing how many of our clients have realized after they start generating these leads, oh, we need to actually have a person who can handle some of this follow-up because we don't want our really highly compensated salespeople following up on leads generated from downloading an ebook <laughs> um, and just not really yeah. having thought about all of the um, ongoing effects of that decision you made to start generating leads. It's a good decision, but you have to think about operationalizing it. Well, and there's a checklist, right? I mean, I, I imagine, you know, with on the sales side for you, as well as on the marketing side for us, there's <clears throat> every business is different. Every culture is different, but there's a set of um, criteria that you want to put in place relative to that. And then, you know, instead of worrying up front about like, how do we automate all this? How do we put all this into our marketing automation platform? this really is a set of processes and checklists that can just be, you know, a handful of word and Excel docs. I mean, mm -hmm. if you start there, um, you know, you're, you're not in a, you're in a pretty good place, you know, even relative to definition of what is a sales qualified lead, forget sales accepted, sales qualified, all these different distinctions. What lead is worth passing from marketing to sales? What criteria does it have? And I've heard lots of companies tell me like, Oh, well, we know what that is. I'm like, where's it written down? No, we just know. Like, if you just, <laughs> if you say you just know, then I guarantee you there's different definitions across the organization. You yeah. have to write it down and then circulate it amongst the key people in the organization on sales and marketing and make sure everyone believes in it. Absolutely. And it's not enough just to have that definition, right? I mean, you have to say, okay, a sales qualified lead looks like this. And so when we find one in the wild, whether they come to us or whether we go to them, what happens next? What is sales job? What is marketing's job? What does it mean to graduate from that stage to either a opportunity or if it's sales qualified and unresponsive, then what happens? Then where does it go? Then who does what? Right. I mean, so we're getting into very specific steps, but you have to have that level of detail to be able to create predictability and consistency of results. Otherwise it just becomes ad hoc every single time. Otherwise, you have sales teams, sales and sales reps that have very different, inconsistent follow-up processes. I, I have no idea how you actually predict or project what your sales are going to be if you've got that kind of inconsistency in your organization, especially at the scale. Definitely. All right. I want to come back in a minute to predictability because I know that's a big topic for you and that's something I've, I'd like to get your, your perspective on. But something you touched on just a couple minutes ago, I want to really reinforce. And this is something that we see a lot is people want to implement some sort of automation platform and build a process once they've implemented a platform. And it is so much better, um, as you had said, build your process first using basic tools like Word and Excel get the team aligned, figure out what your process is, and then 
put a system in place that will reinforce an existing process, as opposed to trying to kind of create within an automated tool that can be really difficult for people as you're trying to kind of think through things as well as figure out a new platform. Does that, um, I, I, you just kind of touched on it, but that's something that we see a lot um, with our clients is they want to kind of build the process in the tool instead of building the process outside the tool and then reinforcing. It's a really important distinction and I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, you know, first of all, Technology is not your strategy. <clears throat> you know, I can't tell you how many times, and you've seen this as well, to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to do ABM now. Which tool do we buy to make that happen? <laughs> the technology is not automatically going to make any of this work. What is your strategy to begin with? And I completely agree with you. I think that the tools themselves are accelerators of impact. You don't need marketing automation to do marketing. You don't need CRM to do sales. Like, you can do this with a spreadsheet and a telephone and an email account. People did it for years. But if you're going to, right? I mean, but but if you're going to try to do it at scale, let's say you've got, let's say you're one sales guy, and you know you just you have your process in place, and you just want to execute. Well, if you're going to execute consistently, consistently against a good process, then great. What if I want to hire four more salespeople, mm-hmm. and I want to generate similar results? <clears throat> Simply put it, giving them all access to CRM is not going to cut it. I could, I, could, I could give them zero access to CRM, but hand them the playbook of that one successful sales rep that I've documented, and they could probably figure it out, right? And they'd probably be more successful figuring it out from that, handwritten, from that written playbook than they would just with sort of a CRM system, even if it's set up you know, appropriately. So yeah, I totally agree. I think the technology can be a massive driver of efficiency and scale and growth, but it has to be built based on a set of processes and, and, and definitions and requirements that are defined based on your needs, not based on the tool. Definitely. And I think a lot of people want to view uh, systems as a replacement for effective management. And they think the Mm -hmm. system is just going to do it for you. Um, And as you said, it's not a good driver of strategy. It's also not a good driver of management. Um, All right. So I want to go back to what you what we had um, kind of gotten away from for a second, because I think this was just a really important little discussion. But predictability. That is one of the biggest things um, when I look at your website, when I look at all of your material um, and read about you, um, predictability and building a predictable pipeline is really one of your key, um, your key focuses. And I know when we talk to our clients, one of the biggest problems that we hear is lack of predictability in pipelines makes it incredibly difficult to forecast. You don't know when you need to grow your team. You don't know if you're going to hit your goals or how you're doing. So can you talk a little bit about the the problems you see around predictability and then about some of the best practices that you might recommend to our listeners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the problem really sprung up when you sort of, in most companies face this, where as you grow, if you don't have consistent systems that are driving your demand in the pipeline development, you experience lumpiness, right? I mean, you, you experience some good months and some bad months. You experience, you know, some full pipeline months and some that where you get a little weak. And as you grow, those that the, that problem of lumpiness starts to exacerbate the 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 variability of your results. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you know, and and solving this is, is not just well, let's send more emails or let's hire more salespeople, right? It's not just about doing campaigns. I think creating 
more predictability and more reliability of the numbers you're trying to hit and the pipeline you're trying to create month after month requires a systematic approach to, you know, to incorporate a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, you know, having a common system and definition of, you know, operational excellence between sales and marketing, understanding who your target audience is, but the right target accounts, the right people within those target accounts and what their buying journey looks like understanding the right mix of channels and content that's going to engage those prospects at each stage of those buying of that buying journey. And then, you know, implementing the technology and the reporting systems to execute and manage that. So I think there's, there's a, there's a programmatic way that companies can use to, Mm -hmm. to develop this. And, you know, it's, it's putting a predictable pipeline program in place, it's never a destination. It's always a journey. It's kind of like gardening. Like you're never done gardening. You can have a beautiful garden, but if you don't tend to it, it's going to get gnarly pretty quickly. Um, but I think it's the companies that put a focus on that systematic approach to demand creation and pipeline development, they end up not only generating more efficient and more predictable pipelines, but doing it at a lower cost and a more efficient, scalable cost for the organization going forward. Absolutely. I love that gardening analogy. Um, I think I spent my entire childhood weeding with my parents and my grandparents' garden. So I'm <laughs> very apt. Yeah. Um, and the, the whole point, it, it is something that you, you're going to keep working on forever. But um, focusing on that goal of consistently being more and more predictable and what systems and processes you put in place is so critical. You know, back in the day, this was about seven or eight years ago, I was working with a client that um, it was a very large company, um, quite well known. They had a robust sales team and they had about four different people employed to take the data that they would get out of Salesforce about the opportunity pipeline and massage it to figure out what the forecast would be. And they had such difficulty doing that that they just kept adding more and more people and more and more systems and algorithms and formulas to try to figure it out. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way than getting so many people trying to kind of manually read the minds of the salespeople and their prospects. Um, But it's a challenge that you see from the smallest organization, from the tiny little startups to, you know, big, well-known companies is predictability is so incredibly important when it comes to figuring out when are you hiring you know if you if you have a product that um that requires materials when are you ordering those materials uh it's a it's a really critical component of um leading an organization Uh, but a lot of people just don't seem to know where to get started yeah and there's a pretty simple test you can give yourself to figure out if this is something you should focus on if you look at the last month or last quarter you had like if you know we're sort of we're, we're recording this in the beginning of of June, so we've got five months of the year through. We've got May is over, or June is or uh, June has just begun, but Q two is well underway. <clears throat> if you had a good month or a good quarter, ask yourself honestly, what's the likelihood that you're going to do that again this month or this quarter? Mm-hmm. Like, how confident are you that you can repeat those results? And I think a lot of times, I mean, I've seen this happen again and again. People are like, "Oh, we're fine, we're fine. We've had a great month. Things are great." And I'm like, you had a great month because one big deal closed or because you happened to have your biggest trade show in the middle of that month that generated a bunch of opportunities. So where is those, where are those opportunities going to come from next month? Where is that one big deal going to come from next month? Like, how do you, what, what do you have in place that is more than just hope, that is more than just waiting for the phone to ring, that is more 
than just doing a bunch of activity and hoping that activity turns into the right customers, the right size customers, the right volume of pipeline to hit mm-hmm. your number. Um, <clears throat> so even a lot of companies that say, well, we're not, you know, we're not focused on hope. We've got, we're doing tons of emails and we've got tons of sales reps making a bunch of phone calls and badgering people on LinkedIn. <laughs> that's still hope if that's all you're doing. You're still just hoping that your volume and that your raw power is going to convert into something. Um, and I think that it, it, it almost, I mean, for people that are doing that, I'm like, you are spending way too much time and energy on blunt force trauma to your prospects when you could be employing a, a more nuanced, a, 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 in a, in quite frankly, a simpler, more elegant program that generates the pipeline you need, not only this month, but gives you a blueprint to do it again next month and the month after. And also that blueprint, by the way, can teach you how to scale it. If you need to generate 25% more sales next year, that blueprint still applies, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're able to sort of scale the results you want to generate based on that critical pipeline work you've done from the beginning. I think I could keep talking to you about this for probably another hour because I'm just thinking of all the different client <laughs> stories I have. There's a, I'm going to tell one really quickly and then we're going to pivot. But um, it, it, this is exactly what you were just talking about. We had a client and they were um, a, a pretty well-funded startup. Year one, sales were excellent. They had a lot of um, early movers and they got a lot of big clients. Year two, they had a very small sales team still, and people closed a few large deals, and so everybody hit their targets. Year three, they thought they would need to use about the same amount of effort, and they had gotten all of the early movers. (laughs) And so they had Uh salespeople coasting on all of their commissions and residuals and thinking that they were going to hit targets. And they looked up at the end of year three and realized they had hardly closed anything new. And fortunately, they decided to engage some some assistance in year four. And we're working on, uh, you know, we worked with them on building a process for it. But it's just amazing how people can kind of get blinded by, like you said, those big Um, once, you know, the, the bluebird that comes in that you win and you close, that's great. Celebrate yep. that, but don't expect that that's going to happen every quarter, every month, or you will be very disappointed at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I have, a, I have a small client here in Seattle, um, and we've really been working with them to improve their discipline of doing sort of outbound sales and marketing. You know, they've, mm-hmm. uh, they've, they've done really well and grown to this point, but mostly just by picking up the phone. Um, when people call. And so to be able to grow to not only the, the size of pipeline, but the quality of pipeline, um, there's some outbound plays you put in place. Now that's a different muscle and different discipline. So about a month into doing this, you know, the company said, they, they said, like, this is, you know, we're doing great. We're doing really, really great. Look at all these deals we've got. Look at our pipeline size. I said, so what percent of that pipeline is from the outbound effort you're doing? Mm-hmm. Turned out it turned out it was zero. Oh boy! <laughs> that, they, that they had generated, yeah, that they had generated all this great pipeline, but it was from some of the past leads work that they had done. It was some inbound leads. It was a couple referrals. It was a, re, a one one repeat customer. And so look, they had a good month, but I'm like, I had to throw some water onto it, cold water on it, <laughs> and said like, this this is great. Well, what's the like, like, if you're going to just hope that this all comes every month, I think that's, that's a recipe for disaster. You have to take control of what mm-hmm. you're doing. And I think oftentimes we think about outbound and we think it's just blunt force trauma. We think it's like, it's the, can I get 50 minutes of your time? It's, you know, it's the <laughs> interruptive, terrible marketing that we all see and, and receive. But outbound simply means 
having a thoughtful, valuable approach for the companies that you most want to work with. Absolutely. Like, what would you do? What could you put together to get the attention of your prospect? It's something that's valuable for them, something that's useful for them. Um, that's what you need to focus on. So, so I, I think, you know, not that inbound isn't valuable, but I think you have to mix inbound and outbound mm -hmm. in a way that's going to create that more predictable pipeline for you moving forward. Definitely. Um, one, the same exercise you did with this client, that's something that we've done with a number of our clients is said, you need to split out your pipeline by inbound versus outbound generation yep. and set targets for both. And you want to grow both, yep. but you, you kind of hold marketing accountable for the inbound side and sales accountable for the outbound side. And if you're seeing that they're all coming from yeah. inbound, that's again, that's good, but you want to make sure that sales is actually generating some leads. All right. right. So um, I recently discovered your podcast. I haven't had a chance to listen to all of it, but um, I listened to quite a few episodes over the last few days in preparation for our conversation today. I think anybody who is listening to Let's Talk Sales will very much enjoy Sales Pipeline Radio. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the show and maybe um, some of the things that you've learned since you started the show? Yeah, no, thanks for asking. I think, you know, we call it Sales Pipeline Radio, even though, you know, our focus in the business is very much more on the, the marketing uh, strategy and marketing system side. Um, because I want marketers, to, I just want to continue to reinforce that marketers, at least the ones we work with in B2B, need to be focused on sales pipeline. Uh, and so we really sort of cover both that sales and marketing element. But, you know, it, it's been a lot of fun. We, we focus on a, a combination of guests, both those in an operational role, both strategic and tactical and talk about best practices and learnings they have by doing better predictable pipeline work in the field. Uh, we get a number of authors of some, you know, some books that we've curated as some that we think are some of the best um, on the sales and the marketing side. I mean, I fundamentally think if you are a B2B marketer, you need to be reading B2B sales books. You need to be listening to B2B sales experts. You need to be reading their blogs. You need to understand how modern B2B selling works to be a more effective marketer. Um, and we keep it short. I mean, every episode is about 25 minutes. And so, you know, we keep it tight. We keep it, uh, we keep it, uh, high energy. Uh, and then we, you know, so we get some good insight in and then we get out the door. Um, so it, we've been doing it for about three and a half years now. I think we're up to about, about a hundred thousand listeners or so. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Definitely. We're a little bit longer than 25 minutes, but we like it to keep it to that 35, 40 minute time. Frame. Cause yeah, you have some podcasts that you see and it's like yeah. an hour and a half. And even if I'm really no, I interested in the topic, and I listen at one and a half speed because I'm one of those people, I still just can't make it through an hour and a half long podcast. Uh, all right. So no. um, speaking of books and the importance of reading, it is it is so critical that people are reading books. Like you said, um, if you're in marketing, reading books about sales. Um, if you're in sales, reading books about marketing, um, reading books about your client industries, mm -hmm. um, and really not just focusing on your specific zone, but but spreading out to the sides. Um, you are a prolific author yeah. yourself and have written a few books. So I wanted to talk about, um, I think it's your latest book, but one that I really have enjoyed um, is called Full Funnel Marketing. It is an incredibly robust book that really gives a very comprehensive marketing process. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and kind of what motivated you to put it together? Yeah, thanks. I think... Um you know, the, part of the motivation was, you know, to, to really encourage marketers to think beyond the middle of the funnel. I think to, to, traditionally, you know, even marketers 
that are in B2B that are focused on pipeline contribution for their marketing team um, tend to be very focused on the top of the funnel. Like, well, we generate awareness and we generate leads and we throw them over the fence of the market at, at sales. I think the most successful marketers today take a full funnel approach. They think about what happens after the lead generate. They think about how they can enable the sales organization with better content, better tools, better systems. They prioritize helping existing late stage deals close with better insights, with validate the decision kind of content. So, so I, I, you know, I think the best sales and marketing teams don't split the funnel horizontally anymore. They split it vertically with a bit of a with a bit of a diagonal bent. You know, marketing may own the majority of the top of the funnel, sales may own the majority of the bottom. But I think it's more of a partnership than it ever has been before. And so the book really sort of gives some strategic as well as some very tactical guidance on how to implement that in your organization. Definitely. I loved just how super tactical you got into in terms of the breakdowns of just very specifically, if you're thinking about infographics, you know, here's the best practices for that. If you're thinking about, you know, different um, individual things, as well as that big picture perspective of how it all fits together. I think a lot of books are either micro focused on just a few tactics or they're big picture focused on strategy. And I think this kind of straddles the line Mm -hmm. in between and really covers both, both pieces. Yeah. Yeah. That's our intent. Uh, and, I, and I think even though, you know, I am a marketer by trade, uh, kind of how I have come up through the ranks, uh, the majority of companies we work with, we're working on the marketing side. I, you know, I think that, you know, the, the more the lines blur between sales and marketing, the better off we're going to be. I, you know, I think that there will always be a sales function and a marketing function. I think that's just the way that operationally we sell best. I think it's the way that you know, mm-hmm. prospects are, you know, in, in, especially in complex buying journeys, and, you know, continue to want to engage. But I think that the integration between those teams needs to be more seamless and, and deeper than ever to be successful. Definitely. Um, where can people find your book if they are interested in exploring full funnel marketing? Well, you can buy it on Amazon or you can just go to our website and get it for free. So there's <laughs> your choices. Um, you know, we, you know, and, and just, you know, in full transparency, you know, we think about the book not only as an educational component, but, you know, they're all uh, in PDF form and available on the website and it becomes a lead generator for us as well. Um, but, you know, I just, I just, I believe strongly that the more you're able to feed, um, you know, your prospects and feed the community with good information, the more we can be generous with our ideas and insights, the more that attracts people to us. Um, so I think that, you know, the, you know, unless you're, you know, um, you know, John Grisham or, you know, Danielle Steele, you're not making a lot of books, money selling books anyway. So <laughs> it's a lot easier just to sort of get it into more hands. So yeah, go to HeinzMarketing.com, go to the resources section and you'll find both full funnel marketing as well as all the other books and white papers and a lot of the research we've done. All available for free. All right. We will definitely include a link to all of that in the show notes show notes and we will include a link to you on amazon as well if people want to buy your books to support your work that way um so speaking of books um and especially if you are um, talking to kind of people from the marketing side what are some of the favorite sales and business growth books that you would recommend that people read well i you know i think there are four sales authors that i think i've learned uh, probably the most from they do a conference called outbound every year it's uh, anthony ian reno mm-hmm. jeb blount mike weinberg and um and mark hunter i think they all do a phenomenal job um just 
educating the market, writing books, creating blog posts, doing videos. Uh, Mike Weinberg in, in particular has a new book out called Sales Truth. Um, he's one of the most blunt talkers in sales that I know. <laughs> uh, and he's usually right, uh, which makes it even more interesting. So I would encourage you to check them out. One of my very, very favorite sales authors, though, is Jill Conrad. Uh, she's yep. written a number of very, very strong books um, on sales strategy, on going after you know enterprise deals, on managing your time effectively, on having the right mindset for sales. Um, she also does videos and blog posts and is very generous with her ideas. So those are five people amongst many, many more that, um, that have become favorites of mine that I would encourage sales professionals as well as marketing professionals to, to, to check out for time. Definitely. Those are those are favorites of mine as well. We've had a few of those um, on our podcast. If anybody wants to look back through the feed to hear, I know Anthony Iannarino and Mark Hunter, and I think possibly a couple of the others. I need to actually check the backlog there. But um, excellent people, excellent writers. Uh, Jill Conroth especially is just such a great communicator mm-hmm. um, and really thinks big picture and seems to be kind of a step ahead a lot of times of where the industry is moving. So um, here at Criteria for Success, we talk a lot about sales playbooks, and we are always looking for useful tips that our sales managers, CEOs, and salespeople can share in their own playbooks. Um, what is one actionable tip that our listeners might consider adding to their own playbooks? Well, um, one thing that I would consider, you know, we, we, we talked about the idea of marketing like gardening before, uh, and sort of all of this pretty cool pipeline work like gardening. Um, take the time at the end of the day, at the end of the week, to sort of reflect on your day, reflect on your week, reflect on what worked, what didn't work, and what you could do better. I've seen some organizations uh, implement what's called the 457 email. And the idea is that, you know, once or twice a week, you send an email to your boss uh, that summarizes what went well today, what uh, was a challenge today, and, you know, what something you learned uh, what's something that, you know, you would, you would, you need to do your job more effectively. Um, and if it takes more than three minutes, you're writing it too long. Uh, but mm-hmm. the idea is just to give yourself the opportunity to quickly reflect on what happened and what you need to recalibrate for tomorrow. Um, you know, we all fall into bad habits. We all have bad days, but I think if we don't stop and take a moment to reflect on why and what we need to do differently, it's really hard to recalibrate and refocus the following day. So just taking even those two or three minutes, uh, to do that at the end of the day can give you the right focus, the right mindset, um, and the best opportunity to get back on the horse and be successful the next day. Definitely. Um, one thing that we talk a lot about in our trainings with clients is the importance of that end of day process. And that can really help transition you from the work mindset into whatever the next part of your day is, whether you're going home to your family or your you know, going to an event or something else, you feel like you're kind of closing the loop on the day, tying, you know, I like to say tying a bow on it. And it really puts you in a mindset of growth, a mindset of um, kind of satisfaction. And even if maybe you had a frustrating day and you didn't get done everything you needed to get done, when you're looking through it and you're trying to figure out what did go well, and hey, what lesson can I learn from what didn't go well, that immediately kind of puts a better positive spin on the day, even if you didn't you know, mm-hmm. necessarily hit your target for the day. So, so incredibly important. I agree. All I right. Totally agree. Um, so this has been such a great conversation. Uh, if you want people to learn more about you and your work, where would you like them to go? Obviously you mentioned your website before. Is there anything else? 
Um, you know, the, the com has a lot of our, it has our blog, it has a lot of the books and the other reports and research we've done is all downloadable for free. Um, you know, you can check out, uh, our on Twitter at Heinz Marketing. It's at Heinz Marketing. We, we post, you know, three, four times a day, some of the best sales and marketing articles we can find on the web. So good curated source of additional information. And then if anyone has any other questions, I'm just Matt, M-A-T-T at HeinzMarketing.com. Look forward to chat with anybody. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for being here, Matt. And thank you to everybody who is listening. You can find the notes for today's show and resources for everything that we have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 161. This is episode 161. Tune in next week when we will continue talking about problem solving in sales. And in the meantime, stay tuned for this Friday's inspiration, where we'll be sharing a great quote from Henry Kaiser. To our dedicated listeners who have listened all the way to the end, we want to learn more about you. We have developed a short listener survey, which you can find at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod survey. And when you complete that survey, you'll be entered into a drawing to win an Amazon gift card. All month, we will continue writing about problem solving on the CFS blog. You can check it out at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. And next month, we're going to have another special listener Q&A episode. So if you have questions related to sales or sales leadership, please let us know. You can send us a short voice memo to podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com or post your question on social media using the hashtag AskCFS. If you're enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening right now. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. This will help more people find the show. It lets us know what's working and where we have room to improve. And remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Meskel, Laura Marchoff, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling.